Okay, so thank you guys for being here. Um, so tonight we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15. Um, and really, so these next two chapters, chapters 15 and 16, um, I call it angels and plagues. But really, this is this kind of shows us this last pouring out of God's wrath. So this is kind of the completion of everything we've been talking about for several chapters now. In fact, this section about the wrath of God, technically it starts in chapter 4 and it ends in chapter 16. So the majority of the book of Revelation is focused on this subject here. And the, the next two weeks are where we kind of wrap this up. Like it's where we get to the end of it, where we see this final outpouring of God's wrath. And so let me just make something clear from the beginning. We've been given many different views into the end of the world at this point. Like we've seen it again and again, chapter after chapter. And I'm not saying that these, and I want to make it clear, these are not trying to explain exactly what's going to happen in the order that it's going to happen in or any of this. Okay. This is all very symbolic. It's all, it's a lot of allegory. Like there's a lot of stuff happening here. That's just meant to show us symbolism for the wrath of God, or it's meant to show us symbolism for the end of the world or, or anything like this. Some of it is actually what's going to happen, but the majority of this is just meant to show us different views of the same thing happening over and over again. Tonight, we kind of see the culmination of all of this. It's this, this final judgment that God pours out. But if you remember in the last chapter that we read, we saw God coming, we saw Jesus coming back and taking his people with him. And then we saw everybody else sent off to destruction. So it's clear this isn't any type of chronological order. It's just varying degrees of the wrath of God until we get to where we get tonight um, and next week. So we don't know exactly what the end will look like. So don't fall for the trap that you have to take all of this literally. So now jumping right into it. Um, chapter 15 is really just kind of the, the intro to this destruction here. This is kind of the setup for it. This is the final preparations before all of this wrath is poured out on God, on the people of the earth. And so John sees another vision here. So starting in verse one, it says, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last for with them, the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. And they sing the song of the lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so right here at the beginning, this, this whole section, we see the song of the redeemed. We see what these, what these people are singing, what matters to them, what's going on here. And so before we see the wrath of God completed and poured out, we see these people worshiping and singing praises to him. And so just like the woman and child symbolized an important point in the story, you know, the, the woman and child symbolize you know, the birth of Christ and then his defeat of Satan and all of these things, these things we've seen over the last few chapters. Now we see that the angels signify this turning point in the war between Christ and Satan. This is the completion of God's triumph in the destruction of sinners. So everything that's happened up until this point is coming to a head here. This is the final moment where we see this, this showdown between God and Satan, where he finally triumphs over all of the sin in the world. And despite how patient God has been, he must repay our sin for the entirety of our existence, all of it. So from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, all the way up until the very end of time, he has to repay all of that sin. And that's a lot 
of sin. So there is a lot of wrath to be poured out. So that's why we've seen over this book that the majority of it has been just dedicated to God again and again and again, punishing sinners and pouring out wrath and calling people to repentance over and over again, because this whole time he's been continually pouring out more and more of his wrath until we get to here where finally he pours out the rest of it and it just completely wipes out everyone else. What I want you to notice is that they see these, is that they see the angels, these people worshiping here. Um, it says that they are redeemed. They're standing there. They see everything that's about to happen. And they, they're these people that are described as those who have conquered the beast and the image and the number of its name. So they've conquered the beast. They were not marked by the beast. Um, and they, they've conquered Satan, basically. Like they're standing there and they are completely free of this curse. And they're all standing there singing their praises to God. These are the ones who were sealed for salvation and therefore were immune to the attempts of the beast. Like anytime he tried to draw them in, they, they were already sealed from that. But I also want you to notice that just like I said before, they, they see the angels. They see what's going on. They know what's about to happen. They know that God's wrath is about to be poured out in its entirety, which is a scary thing because we've seen nothing but restraint from him for not only this entire book, but for the entirety of scripture. Like he's never wiped out everyone, almost everyone, but never everyone. And finally, we're about to see all of his wrath poured out. And they know that that's about to happen. But look at this. They aren't. They aren't scared. They aren't worried. They're not sad. None of this is their reaction. Instead, their reaction is that they're singing. They're playing these harps. They are praising God. They know that God is good, and they know that everyone else is about to know that he is righteous as well. They know who God is, and they know they're standing, among, they know they're standing with him. They know they're standing in front of him. They are confident and who they belong to and the fact that though God's wrath is about to be poured out in its entirety, that it is not for them. The great thing about this is, is that we will one day be among those singing. We'll be able to look at the wrath of God in the face with confidence, knowing that we have been saved from it, knowing where our hope lies, and knowing that we are safe in Christ. Knowing that when God sees us, he sees not our sin, but the righteousness of Christ. And knowing that when he sees us, that we've been sealed and saved from his wrath. We're saved from the very thing that we should fear the most in this world. And so when God is about to exact his revenge on this world, they don't, they're not scared. They're joyful. And they're singing, their, they're singing praises and praising God for who he is and for the fact that everyone is about to know his goodness. Finally, completely, they're about to know who he is and they're about to know their own unrighteousness and their sin, but it'll be too late for them. And yet they're still rejoicing because they can see what it is that they are saved from. And so in all this, what we see in this, this beginning here, these verses here are a reminder for us of our secure salvation in Christ. These verses are a reminder for us of our secure salvation. Anytime that we have doubts anytime that we are concerned or worried or we don't know what's going to happen in the future, we can look to these verses and be reminded that we are secure in Christ and that we can rest assured in that. That if we belong to Christ, there's nothing that can take that away from us. Then we get into the, the preparation for the wrath. And so what we see here is we see that these, these angels fly out. Okay, These angels are sent out. And they have the seven plagues of God's wrath with them. So 
definitely this is meant to evoke the plagues of Egypt, the different ways that God poured out his wrath on Egypt. It's just, it's kind of a parallel to this. However, just like how God, how Christ came and was the fulfillment of Moses, he was the newer and the greater Moses, leading the people out of their sin and out of their slavery to sin. We see here these plagues are the newer and the greater plagues. Like this is this is the wrath, this is a completed wrath of God. This is not just some of his wrath against some people. This is his full wrath of against all people. So this is the completed wrath of God. This is the culmination of everything that is built up over the years. And so this is, you know, Egypt was just a small taste of what has come. Egypt was just a small taste of the wrath of God and of what he can do and of his glory and his power and his might. And then we see here in this passage, all of it coming together. This is essentially the fulfillment of the plagues of Egypt. This is the fulfillment of the plagues of Egypt. See, what this does is this treats the whole world as if it was Egypt. And just like how the Israelites in Egypt were protected by the blood of the lamb that was put over over their doorways, we now are protected and sealed by the blood of the lamb that saves us from the wrath of God that is coming, that saves us from all these plagues. We are sealed by the blood of the lamb and all those who are sealed by the blood of the lamb, which is the only way to achieve this righteousness, which is the only way to conquer the mark of the beast, which is the only way to conquer Satan and all of his schemes. Those who are sealed by the blood of the lamb are not going to face this coming wrath. And so we see all of this, all of this played out here. We see the, all these parallels to Egypt. We see all this going on and we see that, that these people are worshiping and praising God. And there's even some parts here in the worship and praise, and we'll talk about this more in the discussion questions, but there's some, there's some points here in this praise that really parallel what we see the people, how we see the people praising God after they get out of Egypt. And so the difference is, is that the wrath there had already happened, and then Pharaoh had let them go. But here, the wrath is yet to happen, and they're already praising God because they know that they've already been saved from it. The victory has already been won. The battle's already over. The God's just about to finish the war here. But it's done. It's been completed. Satan has been defeated, and they know that they are saved and secure and safe in him. So then we get to these, these angels, the kind of description of these angels. We see, um, starting in verse 5, it says, After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of, the, of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So these angels come out. And they, their whole purpose, they're coming out already have these bowls of the wrath of God. And, you know, then it's, it says it's given to them by one of the creatures. But essentially here we see they come out and their whole purpose is just to come out and lay the wrath of God out on the nations, on the people, and all of those who had followed Satan instead of God. And what we see here is that these angels, the way that they're described, what they're wearing, they're described exactly like how Christ is. When we see him introduced all the way back in chapter one, what John sees when he sees Christ, when he sees what he's wearing, when he describes that to us, that's exactly how he describes these angels here. So they're meant to look like Christ because they represent Christ. This is the representation of Christ going out 
to fulfill God's commands here on the earth. So these are sent out, they're commissioned by God to go out over the earth and to basically pour God's wrath out all over the earth, every single person that's left. And I I love this because these angels are meant to represent the righteous judgment of God going out into the world. So this is not, that's why they represent Christ is because they're actually representing his righteous judgment that's being enacted on all the people of the world. Um, and it even says here that one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels gold, seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So this is, this is a reference back to when we saw the throne of God and we saw heaven and we saw the throne room and we saw these four beasts standing around there. These, these four living creatures, you know, one was like a, a lion and one was like this and one was like, and we saw the different images of them first back in Daniel. And then we see it again here. At, uh, we see it again in Revelation. So this is a reference that one of those four living creatures is giving them essentially permission from God himself to go and carry out their assignment. And so all this is happening here. And we see that something interesting happens here because we see that no one can enter the sanctuary until this wrath is complete. So what this shows us is that this is the final consummation. This is where the unrighteous get what they deserve. There's no more warnings. There's no more waiting. There's no more waiting for repentance that will never come. Everything comes to a head here in this moment. This also shows us that this event is It's meant to represent the final purification of earth. This is the moment where all sin is truly and completely wiped out. Now, I know that this may seem weird in the timeline because last week we talked about how all the unrighteous were, have already been taken up and they've already been destroyed and sent to hell for eternity. But what's important here is that, again, this isn't meant to represent a specific period of time. Now, we'll say the futurist view of this is that this is what happens after the rapture. Like rapture happens, everybody's kind of brought up into heaven, and then God, like Jesus comes, brings rapture, then he comes back again to pour out his wrath over the earth and to kill everybody else and send them off to eternity in hell. But what this really is meant to represent is not a specific time period or even a specific happening of events. It's just meant to represent the final wrath of God being poured out on sin and sinners. And it's meant to represent the purification of the earth. That's something that may not necessarily happen after we go to heaven. It's not necessarily something that may happen after any certain event here. It's just something that that it's just meant to represent the complete fullness of the wrath of God being poured out. That's why it's seven angels to do it. We talked about seven as the number of completion. And so seven angels come to show that this is this is the first time that we see like seven angels pouring out wrath on the people. You know, we saw seven angels with the, with the, with the horns and the scrolls and all this stuff. But this specifically, the seven angels come just to pour out wrath onto the earth because this is the full and complete wrath of God. This is everything left in him being poured out onto the earth for all sinners so that when the earth is remade into the new heaven and the new earth, he has no wrath left because there's no sin left. It's all been wiped out. The slate has been wiped clean. All of these people are where they deserve to be. But we see ultimately here that this, this final purification happens. And so that, so that like the doors are closed, there is no more repentance that can take place here. And we've already established like these people are sealed for one or the other. Like this ceiling happens forever ago. Like this, these people aren't going to repent. 
But yet God, time and time again, keeps calling them to repentance and begging them to come and all this stuff and warning them of what's going to happen. But now there's no more warnings. Like, he's done. At this point, it is only the wrath of God that is coming. So what do we learn here? We learn two things. The first, despite how incredible God's patience is, he will eventually pour out his wrath on the unrighteous. He will eventually pour out his wrath on the unrighteous. But then what we also learn here is that his wrath is righteous. It is a good thing for the wicked to be punished for their sins. Despite the fact that we all have family members and friends and people that we love dearly who we wish desperately would be saved and would be spared from this, we'll have to understand that from God's perspective, this is all good and that sin needs to be punished. Ultimately, none of us deserved the salvation that we were given. None of us deserved the grace that God opened our eyes to. And yet, He did, and He gave it to us. And for that, we have infinite reasons to sing His praise. Because He saved us from the wrath that we are going to see in chapter 16. And so, next week, we'll really get into more of the wrath of God coming down and what that final wrath looks like and and why it is that that wrath is deserved. We'll talk about all that next week, but this week what I want you guys to see here is that one, we have an incredible reminder of hope. Like we can look at these at this passage and know that we're saved from this wrath that's coming. That's why here we see that these people are already taken up into heaven, not, not because that's actually what's going to happen, but because they is trying to symbolize for us like, hey, they are completely safe from the wrath of God. They are shielded. They are guarded. They're not going to be anywhere near this wrath. Okay, we are those people who are singing and playing in heaven. Like we are the ones singing praises. We are like this is meant to show us what life is going to be like for us one day. Where we can sing the praises of God for eternity and dwell in his fullness and in his presence. But we also need to see here that his wrath is righteous and it is deserved and it is coming. Like, yeah, we've seen his incredible patience, his incredible mercy, his incredible grace, but his wrath will be satisfied one day completely and totally in its entirety. So now let's pray. God, you are so good. It's so righteous and so holy, so much more than we could ever even begin to comprehend. We could spend our entire lives learning more about you and still only scratch the surface of what there is to learn and to know. God, help us, help us to, to one, to desire more deeply this knowledge of you and who you are, to learn more about who you are and your character and your grace and your mercy and your love, but also your wrath, and to take all of these things in balance and to know the right time and the right place for all of them. But God, also help us to live out this hope that you give us here. God, you give us a hope that is far greater than anything we could experience here on this earth. That's far more important, that means far more, that God is so much deeper than the, than the temporary things that we latch onto here. Help us to live in that hope. Help us to live out that hope. Help us to to live lives that reflect your goodness and grace and mercy in all things. 
God, I pray that that we could be the kind of people who want to sing your praises for eternity, who glorify you in everything that we do, who want to give everything to see you made much of. God, you are good, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living and active and that this still applies to us today. And I pray all of this in Christ's precious name. Amen.